Welcome back to Canuck Central. This hour brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Satyar Shah with Israel Fair. And it's Friday, so that means it is time for Mailbag Friday. So we'll get to that coming up in a second. But uh, a, a lot of fun every time the mailbag comes up. Every time we put the question out on Friday morning, there's a ton of responses, a lot of great questions, and uh, we are all over it again today, Izzy. So uh, you haven't been part of the mailbag yet, have you? No, first this time. Is, uh, you will get your inaugural visit for the mailbag today. Look forward to it. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, let's get things going, Joel. All right, gentlemen, first on the docket here, we have a submission from Ball Hockey Bray who asks, how has Boudreau developed young players in his previous coaching stints? All right, and I think it's, it's a great question. You start going through uh, the teams that Boudreau has coached in the past, and yeah, some young guys like Cam Fowler, for instance, you've seen you know, his game kind of take off mm-hmm. uh, under Boudreau when he was a bit younger. Hampus Lindholm was another guy like on the back end, and I think even guys like Jacob Silverberg and those types of players, Sammy Vatnin. So if you go through the Anaheim years, I think there were a lot of young guys that kind of came through and supplemented the Getzlaffs and the Perrys, you know, and even Ryan Kessler and stuff like that over the years that allowed them to kind of take that other step and be a better team so I think those guys are somebody to keep in mind and I think uh, as far as two-way guys goes Joel Erickson Eck have to have to mention him yeah that was the first name that came to mind Mm -hmm. he's obviously come into his own since Boudreaux left but uh, got an opportunity as a pretty young player yeah and and talking about that and this was now he's probably established as a pretty solid two-way guy but it's more you know defensive yeah than anything and early in his career getting a chance to be a strong defensive player. We've seen a lot of young players come through Vancouver, mm-hmm. and uh, some of the guys are still here. Many of them are not. It's often talked about um, young players not having those kind of uh, yeah. defensive details, those habits. Um, to give a young guy a chance to prove himself as a as a defense first player is not something that's uh, particularly common. Well, no, and I mean even. Uh Nick Backstrom was a rookie in Boudreaux's first season when he came in and had 69 points in 82 games, of course, right? And Ovechkin was only 21 years yeah, old. Yeah, right. You know, Mike right Green had a big start. Yeah, Mike Green had a Green had a big year that year as well, right? So there were a number of players too. Even if you go back to uh, his tenure with Washington, that kind of really emerged under his coaching as well. So he has a record of doing a pretty good job with young players coming in, but a lot of these guys obviously super talented coming in, like Nick Backstrom. Yeah, you know, but and also you know, prior to taking over in Washington, he had been the AHL coach yeah. uh, for a couple of years and actually won the, the Calder Cup mm-hmm. uh, with Hershey in uh, 05, 06. And so there were some of the the more depth players, you know, not Alex Ovechkin, but some of the depth players that ultimately made their way to Washington had had a relationship with him as well. Okay, next up, Alice Dare asks, do you think it is a coincidence that Garland and Hoglander's production dropped off under Boudreaux? Ooh, I don't think it's a coincidence necessarily here, Izzy, because you look at usage. Ice time is down for both those guys since Boudreaux took over. Not significantly for Garland, but a little bit for Garland, but more so for Niels Hoglander. I don't think it is a coincidence because I think their usage is also a reflection of some of that production. But on Garland's case, 
It's not like the coach is playing him on a fourth line or not playing him minutes. He's still playing 15 and a half minutes, just isn't getting power play time. So I can't blame the lack of production simply on Boudreaux. But it's clear, I think, the coach isn't exactly... I, I, I wouldn't say he's not enamored with Garland because I think he's said a lot of good things about him. I, I think he's already given some backhanded compliments to saying, well, if he was 6'2", he'd be really good because <laughs> yeah. of you know, his size and stuff like that. So I think I wonder if there's some of that that, that he doesn't love. With Hoaglander, I wouldn't say he doesn't like him, but I think it's very much of, okay, this kid has a lot to learn. Yeah, tough love. Yeah. And look, I think for me, this is my my read on Hoaglander, even going back to last year uh, when there was lots of optimism about what he could be as a player. Does a lot of things well, um, but he's not not a a goal scorer at this point in his Mm -hmm. career. And if the details go awry, then... What's he bringing to the table? And there were too many games with Boudreaux as the coach where uh, he was either invisible or even worse, um, you know, causing mistakes or making yeah. mistakes and, and, and that caused problems for the team. So there's something to be said for their production drop off. Sure. But that's also coincided with the team taking a step and playing better. Right. So yes. it, it, it's one or the other. Right. Boudreaux has had tons of success early on with the Canucks and this is not me saying that uh, they're a cup contender and and even at the level that they've played certainly been better than what we saw earlier but those were two guys that had nice starts to the season have slowed down uh, but the, the team hasn't been like the, the team has been better even without them playing at a high level. It's one of those interesting conundrums. Yeah, and it kind of comes, the, the begs a question about if Boudreaux is back, how do those players fit in? And ultimately, what do they need to do to have more success with Boudreaux as a coach next season if he's here? Okay, staying on the Bruce Boudreaux theme here, Ray Sahota submits, the Canucks have built up so much goodwill in the market with the moves and their play. By not saying that Bruce is the coach for next season, are they risking breaking that trust they have built up with the players and the fans like they did after the bubble? Ooh, so I think it's an interesting question. I think it's worth posing as far as a general question is concerned. The issue here is not a lack of ambition. And I think that's the center issue that it's a lot different this time around compared to what happened after the bubble. The main reason the team didn't come back, you know, as constituted and they didn't didn't bring back guys like Toffoli was they didn't get the green light from ownership to spend money on those contracts. They could have found a way to make it work with some of these guys, and they didn't. When they got Nate Schmidt, that's one guy they got, but the rest of the players, you saw the contracts, not long-term. Jake Vertanen, cheap two-year contract with an out, and they essentially bought him out after the first year. So not a lot of long-term money being handed out. You know, outside of the Nate Schmidt deal, which they acquired. So I think the issue that kind of persisted last time around was management. And you can be critical of, of Jim Benning as a general manager. But that offseason in particular, they were not given the okay to sign those guys. This is not an issue of they're not they're not given the okay to spend money. They're not being given uh, the means to be ambitious. Yeah, it's simply, I mean, we're talking about big contracts for JT Mill. Right, Yeah, and they're going to spend, and they're going to do a lot of different things. And, you know, we had Stan, we had RJ on from Abbotsford earlier yep. this week. If you missed those combos, go make sure to check it out on Canuck Central. But we got into them wanting to spend money on, on building a scouting hub in Europe, potentially. Mm-hmm. And that kind of tells you of expansion, of an ambition, and stuff like that. Not to so, mention everything in Abbotsford. Precisely, and they want to do more of. So I think this organization at least on the surface, wants to pledge doing more financially too. So I don't think there is a real comparison to this offseason compared to the past offseason after the bubble and the goodwill being shattered, so to speak. I do think with the coach, with the players, you might have to sell them on a new coach. But I don't think the issue is the same because the issue back then simply came down to a lack of ambition at the time because of the pandemic. 
I'll flip this on you then, Sad. Compare now to the bubble. Is the team in a better position? And is the goodwill, like, which one do you think uh, they came out of or or, are currently in in a situation where the goodwill is there? There's optimism for the future. Yeah. Because I I think the team's probably better now than it was then. It's funny, but the perception was different because it came off a playoff run. Right. But, like, it was, you know... I don't know. It was it was a it was a playoff run that when you really analyzed it, as fun as it was, and given everything else that was going on in the world, it was incredibly fun. Uh, the the St. Louis series in particular, <laughs> it was. I mean, listen, we we enjoyed it a lot. I mean, we had a fantastic time watching that playoff, and you give that team a lot of credit. But that team was maxed out. They gave everything they had. Right. And that, that's everything they had. And, you know, this group as it is, you're right. You can make the case that, you know, there's more promise with them. And long term, you like, you know, the fit a lot better, especially with Demko already being signed here long term. But we also, as we outlined in the first hour of the podcast. There's about a 30, 40 goal gap between you and the real contenders in the NHL and you're capped out. So how do you make up that gap to some degree? Right. There's other things you have to improve. But ultimately, too, is look at how much money you're spending and how many goals you're scoring. And how many more goals you got to score to become that good team and how much cap space you got to move up to get there. So I think the goodwill is more in Boudreaux's ability to get most out of these guys as opposed to being sold on this group being ready to win next season. Okay, next up, Nuck 72 asks, what's a reasonable contract extension for Brock? Okay, so I'm, I'm going to go with what I've been mentioning a while here for Brock as far as a number goes. I think the most reasonable number that I can come up with is a three-year deal worth roughly $18 million. Maybe eighteen five. You know, 6.1, 6.2, somewhere around that range. Maybe 6 on the dot. Anywhere between 18 to $19 million total money. Okay. Somewhere in that, in that range. To me, that's the ideal meet in the middle, let's try to work this out deal, right? Because... He's, he doesn't have the leverage to get a long-term deal. Like, Canucks probably don't want to give him a long-term deal at a big number, right? And every UFA year you buy is going to cost you something, even if he's coming off a tough season. Yeah. And for Besser himself, as much as, hey, you're taking another three-year deal at a modest raise from what you're getting now, well, in total, you're still banking, you know, over $36 million mm-hmm. these you know, six years combined, and you get a chance to be a free agent at the age of 28. And you have another chance at having a couple of big years and then getting that big payday, whether it's Vancouver or, or elsewhere. So to me, the ideal deal is about $18 million a three-year contract. That seems right on to me um, because you're still holding out hope that there's a little bit more there. Uh, that's taking into consideration all the, also the team's cap situation. Um, you know, publicly, he's always said all the right things about wanting to be here and dealing. I mean, you know, he's basically asked every year about <laughs> if he's going to get traded and, and and what that's like. And um, it's uh, I still look at him as a player that for that contract, you'd, you'd be really happy to have around. Mm-hmm. And I, I just when it comes to those trade talks, I don't think that ideal package is out there. The, the dream package of, well, if you get a top four guy for him on, on the blue line, I just don't think that that's going to happen. So 318 seems, I think, pretty pretty perfect for all involved. Yeah, I think that's something that could be a decent workaround for both parties, but we'll see. Okay, next up, uh, InfoKid asks, which big piece gets moved this offseason? Garland, Horvat, Besser, or Miller? Oof. You had to pick one. Got to pick one. 
Oof, that's a good one. So I'm, I'm okay. So I, I think I want to say Miller still, but I think it's kind of 50-50 at this stage. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel comfortable saying Miller and feel good about it. I think one way or another, Garland could be going, even if Miller goes, right? So I'll say Garland. I I think it has to be. It has to be Garland for kind of all the the reasons mentioned and talking to Dave Pignotta. And he was uh, – yeah. the, the sense, I guess, that he's getting around the league is that Garland's got value. Um, and maybe it wasn't deadline value as, like, this is the guy that can put us over the top and we're going to want to pay a premium for him. But if teams are looking at their own lineup construction, and if he said, right, like, but for most teams, Connor Garland could be a second-line player. Um, we, You and I sat, talked about this earlier in the week. Okay, well, if he's a second-liner, is he the third guy on that line? Is he the second guy on that line? I would imagine that on a really good team, he'd be the third guy on that line. Um, but if a team can afford it and, and thinks that he's a good fit to really boost their top six, then... There's there's value there around the league because I'm I'm kind of still more like you know middle six yeah. really nice complimentary piece and this is I like his game a lot I like watching him play he's often on the puck a lot of fun to watch no doubt but on, at, at the end of the day and somebody texted in and said can, can you feel good about anybody making five million per year if they don't score at least twenty five mm-hmm. goals if they're a forward not a defenseman I think that's a great way of putting it if you pay a guy five million per year what does he have to do to me either you got to be a centerman. Yeah. Right, you'll see Philip Deneau, good with two-way centerman. Eric Sinek, right? Like good two-way centerman that can play in the top six and do different things for you. Yep. That have you know extra value than scoring. Yep. Okay, you can live with five million. But if I'm paying a guy five million, you better give me twenty-five right. goals, right? And if you're paying for thirty or more goals, that's when you get to six million. And sure. the guys who's like you know point per game, even above a seven plus eight nine. I mean, that's the next level. But I, I think it's a it's a fair way of looking at it. If you're paying a guy five million per year, how confident are you he's going to score twenty-five goals for you consistently at least? Sure. And I mean, look, like Tanner Pearson had twenty-one goals in nineteen twenty. Last year, a bit of a down season scoring wise and and this year it's it's been down again which is probably why there's conversation about that contract but he's not making five million Mm -hmm. and he's looked at as you know that second level of depth scoring he's not going to be an ultimate scorer and in that 1920 season that was a lot power play that second power play unit was really good yeah they they produced quite quite a few points uh we've seen the issues that the Canucks have had with their first unit, which doesn't always translate to the second unit. Sometimes teams struggle with their first unit and the second unit picks it up. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think often because the first unit is having trouble getting things going, second unit doesn't just doesn't get those kind of opportunities. There's not that flow on special teams. And with Garland, he's in that higher tier of what you expect from yeah. a guy because of the contract that he signed. No, absolutely. And I like Garland a lot, but when, what we just went through earlier on the show they need to score more goals for the amount of money they're spending. And it's not just about getting rid of, you know, contracts that are, you know, not great to get money off the books. How many of your contracts are efficient enough as it is? And if you have any sort of doubts with a player, this offseason is the time. Like, if you're not a believer in Garland, before the value diminishes and he gets moved down the lineup or something and it doesn't work out or whatever, yep. make your move now. Like, I like Garland a lot, but if you're not sold, time to make the deals the offseason. Sure. Okay, now we got a couple prospects and uh, Abby Canucks questions. This first one is from Jabo, just a bit outside Vancouver, who chimes in, Lucas Yasik developed relatively well under Trent Cull. The Canucks qualified him last year, and he went to Finland, had a great year playing in their top league. What are the chances that the Canucks sign him to a cheap one-year deal as part of the bottom six? Ooh, so uh, I can see him maybe signing a cheap one-year deal. 
I can see him doing that. Um, I don't know if it's to play in the top, bottom six right away. So, and the other thing here too is, I think with this pre, with this new regime, there might be a better chance he does come over and to give him a chance to see what he does. We're not that far removed from him being sort of identified when they were in Utica. It's like, hey, this is a guy right. that, if things go right, could be a bottom six guy. And maybe they're still, and I even heard, you know, the door wasn't closed on him when he went back, but I did also hear uh, with the previous regime to some degree, and hey, and maybe, you know, you want to believe it or, or maybe think it's it's real or not, that I wouldn't say he had character issues, but there was more to just the talent there. I don't want to me I don't I'm, I'm don't take this as me saying he has character issues or a bad guy in a room or whatever. Yeah. But fit. just there's there's a fit yeah, I think I think fit wise there was a question. Now does this management team view it differently? Right. They they are we're gonna learn a lot, I think, about the the direction uh, from from fit, we've spent a lot of time talking about fit, and that's that's on the ice and and, and off the ice. Uh, we haven't gotten to that point yet where there's been a, you know a serious determination in that direction, uh, which is why the conversations about the coach and some of the not the, the high end or highest end players, but some players that are you know guys that have been to all star games and mm-hmm. stuff are, are in 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 those in those conversations. Okay, next up, Discount Dracula asks, is Spencer Martin going to be the Canucks' best backup option given his cheap cap hit? Uh, yeah. I mean, because you can probably sign, and I know Drancer alluded to potentially right. like, working on a deal with him, and I, I wouldn't be surprised with how well he's worked out here and how well he's played in Utica. I mean, Utica, Abbotsford, that at the very least, you want to get him signed maybe. Maybe you can even do a couple-year extension at a cheap number and give yourself some certainty. And at the very least, he's a guy you put in the minors as your third goalie. So I think expecting Spencer Martin back next year in some capacity is a good bet. And why not? It doesn't take you a lot to sign him. Bring him back cheap. And at best, he's a nice cheap backup option for you. At worst, he's he's a goalie for you playing down in the minors. For that sure. gives you organizational depth. Yeah, it, it's, it's worth a shot. And because of what Thatcher Demko's done to further establish himself as a preeminent starter in the league, you can afford to take a little bit more of a risk uh, at backup goalie. Okay, next up, MJ asks, can Brady Keeper play in the AHL playoffs, or sorry, in the AHL or the playoffs, or is it too late to send him down at this point? Would be nice to know what they have in him. Is the player again? Uh, Brady Keeper. Keeper. Brady Can Brady Keeper. Keeper play in the AHL playoffs or the Canucks playoffs? Ooh, well, I mean, well, the Canucks aren't. He's not going to play for the Canucks playoffs. <laughs> no and one's playing for the Canucks playoffs. Assuming a miracle happens. Yeah, but. and also because of a situation, he hasn't really had he's a chance to play injured. and all that yeah. sort of stuff. I'm not even sure he's going to be eligible at I this point. I think it's just to try to get him on the ice. Ice a little bit here. So you see if him get him a chance to play a little bit. It I was mean, tough, man, because he was one of the guys. Great story at camp. Yeah, see, see, even if he does play or whatever, I think the, the key with him is just get your feet wet again. Mm-hmm. You know, get your legs under you again, and then next season, come in and give it a shot. I think next year in camp, he'll be an intriguing player. I wouldn't expect anything the rest of this this year, right? Or like, you know, ice time or whatever. It's all about getting healthy and getting to a position where he can hit the ground running at training camp next year. Yep. Because I think he's a very interesting player, and he had a gruesome injury Cough in training injury. camp. Oof. So he, he just hasn't had a chance to play, but absolutely. Okay, next up, Grouchy Guy asks, what's a reasonable give to offload the contracts of OEL, Myers, or Garland? 
He says that I'd give a first round pick and Klimovich to offload these Benning disasters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's kind of throwing good money after bad to some degree. You don't need to sweeten anything to move Garland. Uh, I think you can move Myers in a hockey deal and take maybe some money back, yep. but not a ton. And OEL, the issue with OEL is not what can you sweeten the pot to move him out with. It's He has a no-move clause, and he's not willing to wave. Yeah. And he just got traded to Vancouver. As we know, because uh, it was in uh, in the talks for a long time, he was going to two places. Yes. And he ended up in one. So, as to me, that's not a realistic scenario. So, unless the Bruins are interested. No. <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen. No. So, so I think uh, it really does come down to this offseason here. Maybe like, OEL for Dadanov. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine? I think it's, I, I wouldn't expect those guys, but I think there's hockey deals to be made in a way to move salary for guys like Myers and even Pearson. If you want to go down that road, I think there are ways for you to move a lot of that money out without having to sweeten the pot. Okay, next up, Jeffro asks, forget whether you can get him. Would you rather give Malkin three years at 10 mil per year or Miller at six years at nine mil per year. Ooh, what about a, Matt Sundin at ten Matt's, mil per year? <laughs> no, what? I'll, t- I'll, I'll take Malkin at three times ten over Why not, over JT at at you know with six the, times nine. Term, yeah. Oh yeah, three times ten with Malkin signed. Yeah, he can give you three years at ten million. And so, how old is he now? Thirty four. Thirty four, I believe it is. And, and yeah. obviously has been dealing with injuries the last couple of years. Could you imagine him and Petey so, on the same yeah. line? Last year, 33 games. This year, 32 games. He's 35 points 35 in 32 points. games this year. He's, he's 35. He'll be 36. So the contract will run out when he's you know 38 going on 39. And he's 35 turning 36. Yeah, so he'll be 39. This summer. So he'll be like almost 39 when the contract ends. I mean, I'd love it for the chaos. Chaos. I know, but he gets hurt a lot, right? Last year only played 33 games. I mean, he hasn't played a full season. He's never. He hasn't played a full season since uh, 08, 09. And the most he's played since then was 78 in 2017, 2018. It's a lot of 60s and 50s. Yeah. It's a great question. Not great, Bob. No, but I would not sign JT Miller to a six-year deal at $9 million per year. I wouldn't. I, I just like I'm not doing Six, nine. Nine, yeah. nine. I'm not. I'm not touching. Like I said, like I, I, I'd, I'd be cool to bring Miller back, but the number has to be under eight. And if that doesn't work, too bad. Like you, you put a hard line in the sand. You give a number, and that's you're not moving off of it. And I think that's what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is that they're going to offer, it's going to be below what people think. I think, and I've mentioned this before, is a number in that seven, two, five to seven, seven, five range. Right. Per year, over six or seven years, total money anywhere from fifty to fifty-two million. I can see. To me, that's the absolute max Vancouver would go. That's that's my that's my feel on it. You know, not not reporting. That's just my feel on what they would do. I can't see it being you going a penny above that. Like even that might be too rich for my blood to begin with. But like anything above that makes no sense. That's just way too dangerous. Yeah, fast fascinating negotiation uh, yeah. with a player who's just continued to like up his value uh, around the league uh, points wise uh the, you know the case the comparables they're up there with eight nine like the, the the point production is at that level but getting a little bit older got an opportunity here that he didn't have in tampa to play big minutes and, and be the, the the bmoc if you will mm-hmm. so is there you know a little give back uh for that hey look you stay here we still give you a ton of money and you get to keep being uh, you know, a huge part of this team, whether it's first-line left winger or basically you know, the proxy of a first-line center. He's out there all the time. Yeah. 
Okay, last hockey question, and then we'll move on to some uh, different ones here. Dan submits, which do we dislike most? The lack of production from Garland or the fact that we still don't have sippy cup lids at Rogers Arena for our beers. Ooh, sippy cup lids. Actually, that's so I was at the uh, I was at the Blues game right. on Wednesday in the stands, and uh, couldn't help but overhear a guy behind me complain that he lost not one but two beers because of the lids. Really, yeah. you lost the beers. <laughs> the very top. Maybe that's who's texting in. Very topical question. How did you lose the beers, though? Just uh, yeah, I, I didn't. Off. I didn't ask. But uh, that there was a, a long conversation behind me in in the stands about uh, you got to go cans because they they do serve cans. Some places don't, right? Yeah, like some places yet. don't don't want the cans thrown on the ice. That kind of thing. Like a Rogers. Or uh, what is uh, Rogers? What was it called again? What now? the Rogers Center? Rogers, yeah, the Rogers Center. Center. There we go. Yeah. It's like Rogers. Yeah. Um. So th- those sippy cups, <laughs> man. That's uh. Yeah. It's it's big. Uh, it's a big conversation starter in the stand these days. Okay, Vincent asks, what are the chances for Canada in Group F? Just happy they avoided the Group of F, Group of Death, Group E. Okay, so Canada has a chance, right? Is he um. It's not the best group to be in, but it's not the worst group. I d- did find it interesting how many people were downplaying the group, too, though. I mean, I, can, I, n- I understand the criticism for Belgium, to some degree, a bit older, right? But they still have a lot of talent. I think people are sleeping in Croatia, though. Like, I, that's the one thing I find interesting. I know they were in the World Cup final last time around and lost to France and everything. But I find it interesting how, like, Croatia's kind of be like, oh, yeah, they're old. They're not going to be all that yeah. good. It's like... They're saw, really good. I love the guy who's usually in my seat, Dan Riccio, starting to make that case a <laughs> right. little bit. Even he was making their that best player, game. Luka Modric. He's he's gonna be thirty-seven. Yeah, but I mean, Kramaric, I guess he's thirty. Perisic and those guys, but they're not too old. And See, for this I don't have a tournament. So I think thirty is okay. What Riccio was saying was that uh, to him, it, they're a team that's got their golden generation. You yes. know, for them, making the the World Cup finals is as good as it's ever gotten, and that this is the drop off, which we saw somewhat with kind of uh, Holland, the Netherlands. Right. Uh, you know, they make the World Cup final in 2010. They have that incredibly talented group of dynamic, high-profile players. Yeah. And then it sort of drops off, and they haven't been at that at that level again. Couldn't replace I feel the, like Croatia's yeah. got a little bit more of a solid base. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, you know, they were so reliant, you know, on guys like Iron Robin and Wesley Schneider. For sure. and, and as soon as those guys kind of went down a bit, you didn't have anything else. But, I mean, you go through, like, like we mentioned, the, the midfield for Croatia – Rebic, Brozovic, yeah. they have a lot of really good players that people just you know aren't as familiar with right now. Their back line is strong. Canada has a chance though, right? And I think um, more than anything, what they're going to have to do is defend well and then hit teams on the counter. They're not going to be able to play the same way they played in CONCACAF, right? And they're going to have to play better defensively. My only question, Mark, really with their roster is as good as their fullbacks are, and I really like Adekubi, Larea, and Kay. I think all those guys give you depth and they have athleticism and speed. Speed, width, for they, sure. They can play yeah. on that big stage. I like that a lot. And as good as Atiba is, I still worry about the rest of that center back line, right? Like, I don't love their central defenders, generally speaking. Right, Canada. I mean, like, Riccio's, you know, putting Luka Modric in a home because right. he's 37. Atiba Hutchinson's is like 38. He's been playing a long time, and, like, if... And he's the their se- best central defender still. Man, great. And, and, yeah. and he, he can play so deep. Like, he can be such a deep-lying player and, and picks his spots very smart about when to mm-hmm. when to attack and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. It is still, like, a lot for a guy who's a legend. Obviously, Canadian yeah. legend. You go to Turkey, um, the, the stories are legendary about the impact that he's had there playing um, in the Turkish League. So, still... Uh, I'm, I'm sure. Th- I mean, I, I know he was interviewed a couple times today. Thrilled for the opportunity that he's going to actually get a chance yeah. to play in a World Cup. 
that's still like a lot of pressure. So that's my only question because I think I, I like what they like Adekubi and their fullbacks can do, especially on the counter and and the width they can provide and the pace they can provide. If that backline doesn't hold, though, it doesn't really matter, right? So that's ultimately what it comes down to. And that's why I always joke about Fikayo Tomori. <laughs> if you can bring Fick over, right, and he can play center instead of you know pining for England and not oh, being used, come man. and play for Canada and 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 be one of your studs uh, as a center back. But I think that back line—that's my question. But I, I do like how Canada um, on the counter can pose some issues, especially with Eustachio, the way he can boss into midfield too. And you probably hit him Davies on some runs, David on runs, yeah. Tejon Buchanan he'll, has Yeah, pace. he'll pinpoint guys. So I think those guys, and if they can turn the ball over and get it over to him, I think he can really hit guys on the counter and really be a fulcrum of their attack. And I like the pace those guys have, right? So I think Canada's best bet is to kind of be a really strong defensive team that can counterattack yep. the hell out of you. Because Davies on the counter is impossible to stop. Oh, my God. It's it's unreal. And that's what you got. You got to lean into that. And, yep. But they have a chance. And they have... It's not just... Uh, kick in a prayer. It's no. with Ustakio, there's a guy that can actually pick some guys out. Well, he can he can tie it together, right? And oftentimes, you know, you have a guy who's a winger or a forward that can that can push, but it's like who's getting him the ball? Yeah. Now you have guys on the flanks that can do that. And how much of the yep. attack nowadays in soccer is coming from the flanks? Huge. Yeah. Right? And you know, that's why I I, just, I can't say enough about Sam Adekubi yep. and what he's doing and, and how important he can be for Canada at the World Cup. All right, we got just enough time for one or two more quick ones here. Uh, AJ Haug, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. He asks, uh, easy one, Sopranos or Boardwalk Empire? Wow. Okay. This is. I know a, what Randeep would vote. I know. I know. So I love the Sopranos. Boardwalk Empire is a better show, though. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I haven't sign, seen either, so I'm going right in. Vote you haven't the seen wire. either? No, I haven't wow. seen either. Okay. Yeah. I see. I, I, I seen the wire, though. See, I think Sopranos is great, right? And, you know, wire is the best. But, I mean, Sopranos is, is really well done. I like it a lot. But I think Boardwalk Empire, just kind of how the story evolves and kind of what happens with the show. And I think it's, it's a really underrated, well acted, and, and fantastically well written show as well. All right. Last one here. Taj asks. <laughs> Taj. <laughs> he asks Will one. Bruce call in sick on Sunday to watch WrestleMania? Even money, he might. Big WrestleMania fan. Like, how upset do you think he is at the match? He's like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Four o'clock when WrestleMania is going on. At least have the game later. Yeah, I know, man. Uh, I don't know. They're going to have to like pipe it in on the big screen a couple times. <laughs> Give Bruce a taste. Yeah, I mean, could you imagine? He's like, they're not bringing me back next year anyways. <laughs> I may as well take the day off and go watch WrestleMania. Be great if he comes out on the bench and you know does a whole does a whole wrestling thing and then leaves. <laughs> I gotta go. WrestleMania's on. That's it. All right. Oh, wait, wait. you know what? Time goes by so fast. Uh, I disappointed Jeffro by saying what, and people are like more more like Boardwalk Empire. Listen, I like Sopranos a lot. I really like Boardwalk Empire. I really enjoyed the show. I gotta watch both. I really like the show. I liked it a lot. They both have. Yeah, I mean. As uh, Joel said, uh, Randeep has uh, talked Sopranos a, a million times in his life on Randy, the station. Randeep's going to run up on me next time uh, he I, sees me at the I station. also love the Sopranos, but I've never seen Boardwalk Empire, so I can't weigh in on it either. Love the Sopranos, though. Well-written Sopranos, show. It's great. It's great. I like Sopranos, too, but Boardwalk Empire, man, it's something special. I enjoy it a lot. It. Uh, all right. Uh, you know, we're way late, but we had to push forward here for the, for the mailbag. Uh, that brings an end to our show, but... Uh, we are going to bring back the Yannick Hansen interview, and if you missed the mailbag or the beginning part of it, that's being replayed coming up later as well. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast if you haven't. Satyar Shah, Israel Fair. Thanks, Joel Godet, Canuck Central.